Hello, everyone in the radio community of WOMR. Harry Kaysen here. And this half-hour program is a review of recent movies. This show is called Movie Night. That's night spelled K-N-I-G-H-T because I appreciate and occasionally even defend the art of cinema. Therefore, perhaps I might guide you folks toward what's currently available. I was one of those fortunate people who called Hollywood my workplace for a number of years as a creative, though now I reside here in beautiful Cape Cod, which makes me even more fortunate. And regarding my reviews on this show, I'm not here to criticize films. Knowing firsthand as a director and writer what a maddening, unpredictable world that can be, I will only be recommending new movies I admire. Over the next 30 minutes, I'll be reviewing four feature films, a.k.a. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, After Sun, and the one film that's my favorite for this episode, which I'm keeping a secret for the moment, hopefully keep you tuned in. Perhaps you've seen these movies, perhaps not. Perhaps you've been hesitant to subject yourself to someone else's dream up there on the screen. Allow me to be your guide, your movie night. And as a bonus, as always, I'll also have a conversation with one of my esteemed colleagues from the world of movies and TV. I was privileged to have directed a feature film a few years back, A Midsummer's Hawaiian Dream, and we shot it in Hawaii, hence the title. My interview a bit later in the program will be with my trusted workmate from that movie, the woman who was the assistant director to me, assistant directors being a very important position. She is Wainani Tomich, and she lives in Hawaii where she was raised. She's part native Hawaiian, a Pacific Islander that is, and she's worked for decades on some of the most prestigious films and TV shows that were shot on the island. She's full of fun, has many stories to tell, and I know you'll all find her nothing less than fascinating. I'll be interviewing her in just a few minutes, asking her about working as a filmmaker surrounded by the ocean in a land of beauty and unpredictable weather. Sound familiar, Cape Codders? You won't want to miss it. Okay, our first film. It's called A.K.A. It was directed by Morgan S. Dalibert and was written by Mr. Dalibert and Alban Lenoir. It stars Mr. Lenoir, Eric Cantona, Thibaut de Montalembert, Zveva Aldviti, and Noé Shabbat. This is a French film, as you may notice from the people involved, and you can catch it on Netflix, available in French with English subtitles or dubbed into English. Here are the basics of the story. We follow Mr. Lenoir as he portrays Adam, a special ops agent working under deep cover for the French government. This is a take-no-prisoners kind of guy here. You don't send him in to rescue someone. You send him in to kill someone. And he's amazingly good at it. I know, sounds familiar. Stay with me. There are seemingly endless movies out there with this kind of setup, but what made this different for me, to distinguish it from a Bruce Willis vehicle or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Tom Cruise and the like, was the sheer, serious, no-nonsense aspect of the proceedings. I was reminded, in a way, of The French Connection, no pun intended, Back when that was in theaters, there were a lot of cop-on-the-edge movies, but the French connection was heralded for feeling very gritty and real compared to the Hollywoodized versions of cop movies piled like ketchup-stained corpses all around town. It felt closer to what it might actually be like to try and tackle life-threatening international crime on dark and uncaring streets. Same thing here. The character of Adam, the special ops agent, has no sly asides or winking attitudes as he's fighting for his life against the very bad, bad guys. He's doing a job. No tricks, no exploding fountain pens, no operatic monologues. 
Mr. Lenoir started his career as a stuntman, and it shows in his very convincing action moves and weapons handling. At a certain point, the character of Adam bonds with the nine-year-old son of his mobster boss, and that's when everything takes a major left turn. He's now not just another deep-cover black ops guy. He's protecting an innocent. Yes, we've seen that before, too, but this is all in muted colors and unburdened with needless emotional flourishes, though we do care more and more about these people as the movie progresses. In that vein, I knew a man who was a fighter pilot in World War II. He flew P-38s, and I asked him what he thought about those war movies where a buddy gets shot down and those around get weepy and try valiantly not to go to pieces. He shrugged that attitude off. Hollywood, he said. In war, sure, you're going to lose people, but you knew that going in. You get back in your plane, you go up, and you get the job done. Crying about it is for the civilians. Well, that's how real AKA feels. I found it bracing and engaging and just real enough. If you're in the mood for that kind of thing, it gets the job done. The next film up is about as different from the last movie as it could possibly be. It's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. It was written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig from the book by Judy Bloom. It stars Abby Ryder Fortson as Margaret, along with Rachel McAdams, Benny Safdie, and Kathy Bates. It is currently only in theaters. This film is set in a New Jersey suburb in 1970, which is when the original book was written. It's bright, it's buoyant, it's beautiful to look at, and all of the performances are exemplary. It's been adjusted to make it a little more inclusive, but that only makes it better. At the center of it all is Margaret, an 11-year-old girl who's trying to find her way into adolescence, talking one-on-one with God, who she may or may not believe in. It's also about, well, a woman's cycle, or the nervous anticipation of it. For those with children, you know that 11-year-old girls are at a milestone of life precipice that can be rewarding and terrifying all at once. Judy Bloom, as many of you know, has been a wildly successful young adult author over the years, and this story is a perfect example of why. I'm a 60-something man, and I could relate to this preteen girl. Her occasional lack of self-confidence, her wide-eyed bewilderment at the complexities of everyday life, her connection to her mother— Judy Bloom herself approves of this long-anticipated film, which speaks volumes. Abby Ryder Fortson is a real standout here, immediately finding a natural rhythm to Margaret, and she's very appealing. Rachel McAdams, as her mother, is pretty much spot-on perfect. We all should have a mother like her. And Kathy Bates delivers, as Kathy Bates always does. This isn't really a movie, actually. It's a love letter to us, all of us. Only occasionally movies like this show up. I consider it a celebration whenever that happens. All the departments are handled deftly. Crisp direction, unobtrusive editing, a fine supporting cast. Exec produced by James L. Brooks. So none of this is a surprise. What did surprise me is how much I enjoyed this film. If you happen to have a preteen daughter, like (laughs) almost everyone else in the theater I attended, I'd say it's almost a must-see. If you don't have a preteen daughter like me, it's still a sweet and not saccharine, but kind-hearted adventure. This is Harry Kaysen. You're listening to Movie Night on WOMR 92.1 and WFMR 91.3 on your FM dial and on the World Wide Web at www w-o-m-r dot o-r-g. The next film 
is After Sun. It was written and directed by Charlotte Wells. This is her first feature film. It stars Paul Mescal, who was nominated for an Oscar for his performance. It also stars a newcomer to acting, 12-year-old Frankie Corio, both of them being Scots. You can catch this movie on Prime Video. This is a sly movie. Basically, it follows a young girl and her father as they vacation together in Turkey. And on the surface, that's all it seems to be about. Frankie Corio is incredibly natural as Sophie, the young girl. She was chosen from over 800 other young actors. The obvious chemistry between her and Paul Mescal, who plays her father, is as believable as anything I've seen this year. The slyness comes in at various and unexpected times. A series of what we perceive as flashbacks or flash-forwards, hard to determine which at first, as we see the dad in a dance club atmosphere, and then we see an adult woman who we do not know at first. Meanwhile, Sophie hangs out with other kids. She hangs out with her dad. Something subtle and sad seems to be wrong with dad. Sophie can't tell what. And what seems to be very cut and dried, at the very end, we see it's not that at all. And it causes us to reevaluate pretty much everything we've witnessed. I found it haunting without being manipulative and touching without being maudlin. A quiet rumination on memory and loss. It's beautiful, initially confounding, but ultimately transcendent. Charlotte Wells, the writer-director, is someone to watch. And now, it's time for my guest. She is my dear friend and esteemed work colleague, Wainani Young Tomich. She's an assistant director living and working in Hawaii. For those unaware of how movie sets operate, the assistant director is one of the most important people on the set. The AD, as they're called, is the adult in the room. They know what's supposed to happen in the scene we're shooting. They know what's supposed to happen in the next scene we're shooting, and the one after that. And they keep everyone, including the director, on their toes. What's more, a good AD like Wainani will do it with humor, grace, and love. The production company we all worked for held our production back just to wait for Wainani's availability. And boy, was it worth it. She's worked with many, many big names on major projects like Apollo 13, Deep Impact, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the TV series Lost, Jurassic World, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Godzilla vs. Kong. I'm thrilled to be able to give her this well-deserved spotlight. Oh, a slight word of warning, she and I use the word dear and darling a lot. It may be Hawaii, but it's still Hollywood. By the way, I had to bleep the title of her current movie work, NDA Stuff. So here she is, direct from Oahu, Wainani Tomich. Hello, Harry. How are you? I'm great, sweetheart. How is it in Hawaii right now? It's raining. Oh, isn't that always the case? Well, yeah, it's always the case, but it's it's because of the rain that it's so beautiful here. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are you working on right now? And who do you play? <laughs> I play all the characters. It's going to be great. I'm sure it will. Uh, for our uh, for our listeners out there who are uninitiated, shall we say, uh, can you explain to us what in the world an assistant director does? Well, so on this particular show, I am the water unit first assistant director. So I I take the script and I break it down scene by scene. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of my listeners don't even know what that means. <laughs> when you read a script. All of the scenes are numbers. So anytime the location changes in a, in a movie, that's a new scene. 
Mm-hmm. So I I take that and I break it down into scene by scene by scene. Right. And, then, and, and so basically I, I, I take a script and break it down into bite-sized pieces that you can film in a short amount of time. So when you do um, a stunt sequence or what we're known as a water second unit, uh, we take all of the water unit scenes and we I, I we determine which one are going to be the real actors and which ones are going to be stunt doubles, you know, due sure. to various uh, and which ones are and which ones are going to be CGI, I would imagine also. Yes, exactly. Um, and so in this one, we have four different uh, water sequences and I am the first AD for the unit that does all of the stunt work in the water. I see. So um, we have, you know, some underwater work. We have some water work where their heads are floating above the surface and there's some dialogue. We have some surfing sequences. Um, and and so I I work on the unit that that does all of that. Uh, you must be out in the ocean at some point. But then are you, are you also using a tank? Um, there will be some work that's performed in the pool. In the pool. Where is that? Yeah, uh, where where is the pool? Yeah, it's it's a pool at a school in Hawaii um, that has been used for so many different movies. They've just they're very um, accommodating. I don't remember the name of the pool. That's fine. Uh, but in but, any case, it's an actual swimming pool, and you guys make it up to look like the ocean. Yes, yes. Sometimes we put black um, black um, material in the pool to make it look really dark in the back. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes there's blue material in there and they put other elements in there. Um, you know, we filmed in this pool for Triple Frontier. We filmed in this pool for Magnum P.I., for oh, yeah. Ivo, for Lost. Sure. Wow. So uh, how long is this shoot? How, how many days are they shooting for this movie from beginning to end? I mean, you're part of the world. The, the main unit started April 17th and I think we go until July. Oh, OK. All right. How's it going so far? Great. Great. You know, I mean, there's always some curveballs going around, especially right now. It's an especially wet spring slash summer. So uh, there's there's been a little little bit of a shuffle trying to get everything everything done when it's not supposed to be raining. Sure. You remind me again. That's why I love having you as an AD, because instead of saying things like shit, you say (laughs) curveball. Well, you know, they, I mean, there there's always curveballs, and oh, they're not- yeah, and there's also shit. But but some people look at it as a curveball. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, there there's almost always something else you can kind of punt to. Sure, of course. Uh, talk to me about the favorite shoot that you can remember of the last, say, five years. Five years? Well, you know, eight years ago, I think is when seven years ago is when we did midsummer. Yeah, War. no, 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 no. <laughs> That was quite, no, that was quite frankly, one of my favorite things. You were so lovely to work with. Oh, shut up. A wonderful cast. We had a great- get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a joyous, joyous movie to do. Everybody had a, it was just fun, you know? It was a lot of fun. I have to say it was about about the best two weeks of my life. And you were certainly a big part of that. Well, thank you. Besides that, thank you for being so polite. Besides that, what comes to mind over the last, say, 10 years? 
gosh, you know, I, I mean, I've just, I've been very, very lucky. I've been doing a lot of water work on the island. And so I do a lot of surf sequences, a lot of underwater sequences. I mean, I've, I, I really have such a great relationship with the uh, water work director, Brian Kelana and the waterwork cinematographer, Don King, not the fight promoter. <laughs> just, to, you know, just for the, the, the civilians out there, what does an, an assistant director do? So the first task that you do is you read the script and then you break it down scene by scene. You take every scene, every time a location changes, the number changes uh, for, you know, for in very simplistic terms. And you take that scene and let's say it's maybe this long in uh, in the written page. She's showing and me. She's showing me two inches. <laughs> <laughs> And you write down all the characters who are in it. You give it a one sentence line as to what's happening in that scene. You give it a location. You give it a page count. You say whether it's night or day. You get, you basically give all the rudimentary elements of the scene. Yeah. And Okay, that's one. And this would be considered pre-production. Pre-production. Well, let's talk about actual, you're in the trenches now. You're, you're, you're <laughs> okay. busy. What, what's your job? You get up in the morning and what's the first thing you think about and what's the last thing you think about at night? Um, so I get up in the morning and think, oh my God, it's early. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all do that, dear. <laughs> well, an average an average day for me when I'm when I'm working, especially in Hawaii, where people want to be outside during the day, because why would you come to Hawaii and be nighttime? Um, it, it, you know, I'm usually waking up sometime between three and four in the morning. Okay. So it's ungodly early at times. I mean, radio radio people, especially morning morning radio people are up far earlier than that. But I have um i i get up in the morning and i start to think okay what's the first thing that we're going to be doing and i think about that on my way to work and some of these drives are an hour plus at times just because that's where the 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 water beaches are you know the water the shootable water beaches are um and then i get there and we gather everyone around and we do a safety meeting hey this is what we're going to do during the day these are the the things uh that you have to be aware of and um you know always finish it up by lots of sunscreen lots of water because even though you're shooting in the water you can get very dehydrated sure um and then you know we we talk about the first scene and what we're going to do what we hope Who's to we? you and the crew or you and the director me and the crew. Yeah. So I usually have a conversation ahead of time with the director and then, um, you know, we gather everybody around so that everyone has a chance to listen to what I hope to accomplish during the day. Um, and then, you know, really, I like to describe myself as the 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 person with with the top hat uh, in the middle of a three ring circus and and, you know, directing the traffic within there and That's really. Right. Movie making is is, you know, the newer form of a circus. It's, you know, you roll into town with all of your trailers and all of your acts and all of your animals. And, you know, you have the big tent and, you know, you you do your performances and then you roll everything up and you go away. And it's like you were never there. That's that it, it, it really. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we leave it better than we 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 found it. Sure. Um, so basically, I'm I'm the person in the center saying, all right, this is what we're going to do now. And now we're going to go over here and we're going to do that. Right. I've, I've, I've described your job as the minister's wife at the church picnic. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're, you're the adult in the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, it, it's true. I mean, I'm constantly having to think ahead. 
Yeah. And I, I describe it to people as the um, the military firing line, you know, the, the 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 firing line mentality is I'm always looking for where the next bullet's going to come from. So, OK, what's the next thing we're going to do? Are the actors here and ready? Um, is is the next set that we're moving to clear and ready for us to just roll on in and not have to wait? Because if you think about it, a movie generally has anywhere from 100 to 500 people per day on set behind the camera. Wow. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's huge. And so if you think about that, if we have to wait five minutes for people to get all their bits and bobs out of the set, that's thousands of dollars because you've got 500 on, on a, well, some of the really big ones, 500 people standing around waiting for, you know, these people to move their things out. So in order to be efficient, you have to be thinking ahead and thinking, OK, where are we going to go next? Is there a trash can in the middle of the room? Is there a bunch of other things that shouldn't be there, uh, you know, in the area? You know, what's the what? And for in this last thing that I did, it's like, OK, we need waves for our next sequence. Is Are the waves going well or should we punt to? something that's a little different if we punt to something what are we going to punt to and it, are all the elements uh in alignment for us to be able to punt to that sure that's great uh and you're a pacific islander i am I'm oh, boy. <laughs> you're, you know, there's a lot of attention around uh pacific islanders right now i think that's just great <laughs> well didn't didn't um tongi just win american idol I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. Super Speaking of Pacific guy. Islanders, uh, well, not to name any specific uh, uh, movies themselves, but what was some of the worst experiences you've had? Just specifics as to uh, somebody fell off a cliff, or you know, what, what was what was the bad stuff in the last ten years? Well, you know, I, I I do do a lot of second unit work, which basically is there's the main unit that shoots. And then sometimes they throw another unit into the mix and say, okay, go off and get this, go off and get that. You can use stunt doubles. You can use this actor who's not working this day. So it's not uncommon. In fact, it's very common to have a second unit shooting. And because I do a lot of stunt work in my units, there's a lot of people falling off cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> on purpose? On purpose, yes. Okay, well, at um, least there's that. If you're taking five minutes to make sure that everything is okay, everybody's informed, and that, you know, you check all the dangerous things. Accidents happen, yes, but, you know, you, you can take the time to make sure that uh, you're doing what you can so that accidents don't happen. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, women in your position. Are there a lot more of them now in the last 10 years than there were 10 years ago? Definitely more. Um, the ratio of men to women on the set is still very uneven. You know, it's probably mm, 85% men, 15% women. On the crew. On the crew. And then, you know, you 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 kick it upstairs to some of uh some of the higher positions and that ratio goes down even more. Yeah. Sure. Uh, things are changing in Hollywood, you know, you know, between the Me Too movement and, um, you know, trying to give uh, respect and uh, opportunities to people of, you know, with different gender identities and people of ethnic minorities. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing especially here in Hawaii. I mean, most of most of the crew is uh, Native Hawaiian or Polynesian descent. You see you see a lot of people. Uh, the, there, there's not such an inequity here in Hawaii just because of the, the workforce pool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the culture embraces uh, diversity anyway, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. I think it's one of the main reasons why my parents decided to raise their kids here in Hawaii. My mother's from Decatur, Georgia, so she's a Southern peach. My father's Hawaiian Chinese. So uh, at the time, there were still laws against um, interracial marriages. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there were a few places that they could they they could actually uh, live and raise their children and, and it not be an issue. And, you know, Hawaii is definitely the melting pot. So right. uh, they made the right choice. Uh, sometimes assistant directors become directors. Has that been something you've uh, entertained, that thought? Uh Yes and no. Um, you know, it's, I, I dabble with that. And then, and then I kind of, you know, I get one of these wonderful water units and I think, oh, this is the life. You know, I'm out in the water. I'm I'm out with with uh, all my friends, and we're on jet skis, and we got a bunch of cameras, and we got the best in the world. And why would I give this up? Well, honey, this is this is about all I need from you. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a formal goodbye to the lovely Wainani, my darling. I used to refer to her as Wise One because she absolutely was. I bless my lucky stars that she was the assistant director on the first movie I ever directed, and it was just a pleasure and a thrill to be around her at every single moment. Oh, I love you too, Harry. Love you too, darling. Thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful Hawaii day. And boy, I can tell you, everybody who hears this is going to want to be in your shoes, baby. (laughs) You know, I I say it a lot. It's better to be lucky than smart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, darling. Love you. Have a good day. You You take care. Bye, darling. And we're back. Now I shall talk about my favorite movie of this episode, and that movie is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. It's a documentary, a biopic actually, and it was directed by Laura Poitras. It's available on Max. The subject of this biopic is Nan Golden. If you're not familiar with Ms. Golden's work as an American artist and photographer or her life's work, which covers so much more, you will be well-versed by the time the film is over. And it's a journey quite worth taking. This film was nominated for an Oscar last year, and it also won the Golden Lion at last year's Venice Film Festival as Best Film, a very prestigious honor. What's more, it's only the second documentary to have achieved that honor in 79 years. I personally knew next to nothing of Nan Golden going in, though I had heard the name. Terms like avant-garde, counterculture, outlier, provocateur, and seeker of justice, these are all terms by which Miss Golden could be considered. We follow her from her early childhood up to her vital part in leading the charge against the Sackler family, the family directly responsible for the ongoing opioid crisis that has thus far claimed over half a million American lives. Ms. Golden's life, as she escorts us through it, starts out as normal as it could possibly be, growing up in the late 50s and mid-60s in the Boston suburb of Lexington. Her father worked for the FCC, and her mother was what used to be called a housewife. Ultra-normal. Ah, but what's that saying? All families are normal, until you get to know them. Ms. Golden, being a photographer, has an entire universe of visual aids to take us on her journey, starting from her childhood all the way through her formative, and we see quite extraordinary development as a person and an artist. I won't give away too much of the plot, but suffice it to say, her parents, like far too many parents of those incredibly turbulent times, had less than a clue how to deal with a sensitive, even hypersensitive soul like Nan's. And we see that develop in fascinating, sometimes horrifying ways. This 
being WOMR, coming to you from Provincetown, I have to mention that Ms. Golden was a resident here during an early and very formative part of her development as an artist in the early 70s. We see her photos cataloging that world, those artists and her friends and outliers around her, and taking us into the reaches of self-expression that Provincetown and later Greenwich Village afforded her, and still affords those brave enough to search for their own true voices. Her photographic work, for those who aren't familiar, is sexual, daring, outré, gorgeous, hideous, occasionally puzzling, and also occasionally triumphantly uplifting. In other words, art. And due to the vast amount of material and, quite frankly, bravery of Ms. Golden, we see her progression from a novice to a full-fledged artist, as wonderful a compendium of personal awakening as I've ever seen in one film. This is an important movie, in my estimation. Not important like Eat Your Broccoli and Study Your Algebra important, as a lot of well-meaning documentaries are, more like see how this individual learns to bring forward images and ideas to truly touch us so that we may be able to reach within ourselves and find a way to do the same for others. That would be enough right there, as in Let's Follow Cezanne or Georgia O'Keeffe or Sam Shepard as a young person as they become an artist. But there's more. Much more, actually. For Ms. Golden, later in her life as a grown-ass woman, takes it upon herself to very publicly call out one of the world's richest families again and again at great personal risk. The artist as provocateur, as truth-bringer. This may not be your grandparents' idea of entertainment, but to my way of thinking, it should be. And you might be lucky enough to have a grandparent or parent who gets this film. Well, friends, that's my program for this gorgeous month of June 2023. Please join me every first Monday of the month at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on 92.1 WOMR and 91.3 WFMR. My thanks again to the wonderful Wainani Tomich for joining me today. And as always, my sincere thanks to the talented Mr. Dunn. And thank you to Julia O'Brien for her contribution in making this program possible. And, of course, to my darling wife, Lynn, who views these movies with me and sometimes says, Harry, what in the world are we watching now? <laughs> My name is Harry Kaysen. I am the Movie Knight. Goodbye and good movies. <laughs>